Hey everyone and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host Heather and today I'm feeding your Chris Watts monster and giving you my thoughts and the breakdown on Chris's mom Cindy's shitty little quote unquote book that she wrote about her son Shanann and the murders. I debated for a long time about whether or not I should do an episode about this pseudo book because frankly it's a lot of excuse making and victim shaming and I didn't think it was worth giving any attention but alas you've made requests and it's a piece of this very broken puzzle so let's put this piece where it belongs. And no, I don't mean in the garbage. Seriously, though, I can't put it in the garbage. She wrote it on Facebook. I'm not even joking. It's literally only viewable through Facebook or random Google documents that people have thrown together to make sure it remains on the internet for the rest of time. Something I can imagine she may regret at some point. So let's dive through this burning pile of biased trash one chapter at a time. She starts the book out by saying that all parents dream of their children growing up to be happy, that's it, and that the hardest part about that is that parents can't do it for their kids. Sure, fair enough. I mean, you raise them right and hope for the best, but sometimes they turn into family annihilators. Bear with me, I am salty. She finishes her thought about wanting her two children to grow up and find happiness by saying that Chris ran out of luck pretty early on. Yeah, Shanann was the worst, pulling in 70 to 80 grand a year from home, keeping the house clean, taking care of the kids, and taking them on countless free trips thanks to her hard work. She sounds awful. Her favorite child is clearly her daughter, which Shanann had mentioned before she died, that Chris was always second best, and Shanann regularly wanted him to stand up for himself and their family. Cindy describes Chris as a serious and quiet child, but kind and always keeping good grades. She says that he was serious at an age when other kids were not. She describes her daughter as a social butterfly who never met a stranger, that she was so popular that she would wind up being late to get in the car when Cindy's mom would pick them up from school, and that she blew up their AT&T bill from talking to her friends all the time. Cindy says that she knew her daughter would have her pick of men, and she did. She went to college, fell in love, got married, started her career, and bought a house. Like I said, she has a favorite. She fails to mention her daughter's divorce, but whatever, potato, potato. She worried that Chris wouldn't be so lucky that because he was so shy, he'd have to find an outgoing girl to pull him out of his shell, and that when he did, he'd basically grovel at her feet to try and make her happy. She notes that Chris was great with money, that once he graduated the NASCAR Academy, he was immediately hired by a Ford dealership and saved everything that didn't go to food or rent, bragging that he bought himself a brand new Mustang that he only owed $8,000 on. So you're saying that your 24-year-old son, who had very few expenses, and with what money he did have, he spent lump sums of it on a brand new car, knowing how poor of an investment it is, and how it would depreciate as soon as he drove it off the lot. But he got a discount, so what the hey. She notes that even after blowing what I estimate to be around $22,000, he was still able to bank eleven grand. I looked it up, and a new GT Ford Mustang probably would have been around $30,000 in 2010, so we can guesstimate around that year and knock out the bells and whistles and chalk those up to his employee discount and figure that's about how much he spent if he only owed $8,000 more. She goes on talking about how nice and perfect her little family is, mentioning how Chris was a great uncle and her daughter was having another baby, more about her, blah, blah, blah. This is literally a book about Chris. I can't imagine how much she favors her daughter when she's not focusing her attention on her son. 
But out of the blue one day, she says Chris called her and told her that he had met a girl and that he wanted everyone to meet her. In their quest for information about this new girl, I guess at some point Chris told them that his new girlfriend was 40. They were surprised, but nonetheless, his sister threw a barbecue so everyone could meet the new woman. Enter Shanann. Cindy describes her as a young, pretty, dark-haired woman who didn't look anywhere close to 40. When she asked why he'd said that, they said it was a joke and that Shanann had told him to tell them that. And Cindy seems really weirded out about this joke, so much so that it's how she described her entire first encounter meeting Shanann. It has clearly never crossed her mind that Chris may have prefaced the meeting with Shanann by telling her that his family was a little high-strung and that she may have said, then you should definitely tell them I'm 40 because that's 100% something that I would do. Cindy literally writes in the book, I suppose we were happy he'd found someone. Calm down, Cindy. Don't use all your emotions at once. Chris's mom goes on about how big Shanann's house was when she met her, that it was big and fancy and that she didn't know how she could afford it because she heard she was only working as a nanny at the moment and had previously worked at Gap. Then talks about how Shanann shared everything with them, like overshared, and mentions all of the ailments they knew she had, lupus, fibromyalgia, migraines, endometriosis, and celiac. She briefly mentions that Shanann had also recently been in a car accident and may have gone through the windshield, but she couldn't be sure. You're writing a book about your murdered daughter-in-law? I'm sure you can do a little fact-checking. We already know that people thought Shanann was a bit of a hypochondriac, but Cindy is riding this horse as far as it'll go. It doesn't really matter, though. Sure, maybe she exaggerated about her health problems, but maybe your son killed four people in one morning, stuffed your grandbabies in oil tanks, then took a picture of some flowers and sent it to a side piece before he stopped for a burrito. I recall something about stones and glass houses. She goes into Chapter 2, setting the stage to blame Shanann for a lack of communication from Chris, but she mentions that he talked to his dad, so maybe the lack of communication was a mom thing and not a Shanann thing, but what do I know? She throws out there that she didn't intend on getting close to Shanann because Shanann's conversations were too personal and they made her uncomfortable. That's right, Cindy. Disregard the existence of your son's first and only girlfriend because you don't like feelings. She said her first red flags began at her daughter's son's third birthday party, the long version of saying Cindy's grandson, which Shanann helped plan, by the way. She sounds like the worst. Shanann and Chris had volunteered to dress up as Power Rangers for their nephew, but Chris left the costumes at home a three-hour drive away. And Shanann, wanting everything to be perfect and to make a good impression, told Chris to drive the three hours back and get the costumes, and he did. To Chris's family, this made Shanann look like a controlling maniac, and they were concerned for Chris. No one could see anything from her side that maybe, just maybe, she didn't want to seem like someone who made bullshit promises and didn't follow through or someone they couldn't count on. In Chapter 3, Cindy goes in on the whole she-played-favorites thing, and she's adamant that she's crazy about both of her kids. Sure, just crazier about one than the other, wink wink. You'll remember that when it came time to confess, Chris didn't ask for his mommy, he asked for his daddy. Cindy assures the world that she didn't love her daughter more, they just had more in common. And of course her daughter shared her time and grandchildren with Cindy, so I mean, the clear winner is... She says she got lucky with her daughter's choice of husband, and didn't get so lucky with Chris's choice. Tell us how you really feel. I'll remind you again that Cindy is leaving out the fact that her daughter had been married twice at this time. 
Another random day comes along and Chris calls his mom to tell her that he had just bought an engagement ring for Shanann and somehow the price came up, $12,000. And instead of congratulating her son, she told him that money doesn't grow on trees and then handed the phone to his dad. One, rude. And two, she certainly thought money grew on trees when she bragged about how he was making it rain on brand new Mustangs. But when it came to Shanann, generic would do. She follows this up with the disappointment that Chris told Shanann what she had said about the ring and that Shanann was upset about it. Yeah, duh, that was an asshole comment. Just say congratulations and ask when the date is so you can mark it on your calendar. Cindy's acting like a real Karen right now. She goes back to the time she told us that Shanann's personal conversations made her uncomfortable but changes her story. This time she says she didn't like them because she would confide in Cindy that Chris wouldn't wash dishes or cook, that he dressed like a bum, had a shit haircut, and was too skinny. I'm sorry, but generally you lead with the shocking. And if this is coming up as an afterthought the second time you bring it up, I have a hard time believing you. She didn't mention Shanann talking any crap about Chris until it was sealed that Shanann didn't like Cindy. And then it was game on. Cindy made sure to make herself seem like the martyr, though, saying that if Chris didn't mind Shanann's criticism, then Cindy would stop minding it for him. But, I mean, last I checked, Cindy said she was criticizing Chris to her, not to Chris. But for funsies, let's just believe what she says. Both families all take a trip to the beach where Chris is supposed to make this grand proposal, and Cindy is talking about how everyone got along and stayed on the beach all day, and then threw in there randomly that her first grandson, mind you, she now has a granddaughter too, was like having the sun around all the time. Calm down, Granny. Your favorite is showing. She recounts her grandson refusing to eat breakfast unless his uncle Chris was there, so he'd go upstairs and knock and yell to wake him up. When Chris asked his mom to have his nephew not do that because Shanann was sleeping, his mom thought this request was absolutely absurd and unreasonable and told him that if he wanted to make that request, he needed to make it with his sister and that he was going to break his nephew's sweet little heart. How dare Shanann want to sleep in past a toddler's inner clock? I've had three toddlers of my own. They don't make the rules. And I don't let them wake people up the crack ass of dawn. I don't even want to be up that early. Why would I subject anyone else to that torture? It's pretty easy to say, Uncle Chris is sleeping, let's go look for seashells to give him when he wakes up. But alas, problem solving doesn't seem to be one of this family's strong suits. You'll remember that Chris's response to his problems was murder. Cindy alludes to some awful thing that happened at the beach that was much worse than this, but that the family doesn't talk about it, and that it wasn't between Shanann and Cindy, and Chris was never told about it. If asking a kid not to knock on your door and yell to wake you up the first sign of sunlight is your yardstick of awful, I can only imagine what kind of mundane drama bullshit she's referring to that she won't actually talk about. Certainly if it had made Shanann look bad, she'd have run off with it like a fucking kite. They finish the beach trip, Chris proposes, and everyone goes home, only for Cindy to get an email from Shanann basically saying, Look, you don't like me, and I don't like you, I don't think you're a positive influence, and I don't think you're a good mom. At least that's the gist of it in Cindy's mind. She's shocked that Shanann had picked up on her disdain for her and is genuinely offended. I'm so mad that someone I don't like knows I don't like them and they don't like me either. Cindy says that she was so upset she cried to her husband and he just told her to let it go, but she didn't. She emailed Shanann back and told her that at least she was trying and that it's her fault that she's even writing an email like this at all because no one has ever spoken to her like that, probably because people either just talked to Ronnie, her husband, or avoided her altogether. She never told her husband or Chris that she had responded to Shanann's email. She then said that she turned the other cheek and simply tried harder to be a supportive and accepting future mother-in-law. Somehow, I don't believe this. But let's keep going. 
The script changes to Cindy and her daughter deciding to throw a bridal shower for Shanann, and she talks about how no one RSVP'd except for Shanann's family and the Watts family. Oh, and one friend. Everyone else said they had plans for that day. Cindy said it was beautiful and Shanann got lots of gifts and attention, but that she still wasn't happy. She says she didn't realize just how unhappy she was until she read the Discovery documents years later. In the next chapter, they take some information from the Discovery, a letter from Shanann's mom to one of the detectives, recounting memories about the time they spent with Chris and his family. Remember that barbecue when Shanann's parents met Chris's parents? Apparently, it got a little back and forth between the two moms. Cindy asked Shanann's mom if Shanann had been married before, and Shanann's mom chirped back with, Yeah, just like your daughter was. I love her so much. She also says that Cindy said to her, I just don't see it. And when Shanann's mom was like, What are you talking about? Cindy, I shit you not, says, I don't feel or see that your daughter loves my son. No wonder Shanann didn't like you. Damn, girl, you have some balls. No wonder people don't say anything to you when you come at them with ridiculous shit like that. Cindy certainly forgot to mention that in her version of events. In fact, Cindy said the question about Shanann being married prior never happened, as if that's the most shocking statement made. She said the comments about Shanann not loving her son came after a later argument and subsequent apology years later. Cindy says that she was never the type to show emotion or lose her temper until after Shanann started dating her son. That's what changed her. Shanann apparently changed Cindy for the worst and now is being blamed for all of her unsavory behaviors. Shanann's mom continues her letter to the detective remembering her version of events at the bridal shower but accidentally refers to it as her engagement party. Shanann had celiac and couldn't have gluten. Turns out that Cindy and her daughter cross-contaminated the food with gluten so Shanann couldn't eat any of the food served at her own bridal shower. I've been there, I can't eat gluten either, and going to an event and not being able to eat a single thing is the worst. What's even worse, if it's an event for you. She also says that Shanann had them send out 80 invitations and only family showed. Shanann allegedly called her friends the next day, only to learn that they'd never been invited. Cindy responded to everything Shanann's mom said by saying that they hadn't even thrown the engagement party that her friend Nicole had. As if she wasn't 100% aware that Shanann's mom was talking about the bridal shower Cindy and her daughter had dropped the ball on. Chris and Shanann had two engagement parties. His family showed up to one of them. Cindy says Chris called her the day after the first one to say that she had thoroughly embarrassed him the night before, and Cindy seems to have no idea why. Certainly he told her why, but she's not mentioning it. She plays martyr again, saying that she didn't attend the second engagement party in an effort to not embarrass him again. I'm sure everyone can hear my eyes roll. At the second party, the host said in one of her toasts, I know there are people who would like to kill me for bringing these two together, and it's funny because it's true. But let's remember, it's Shanann who gets killed, which might be hard to remember when reading this O'Day hating Shanann. Cindy and Ronnie didn't attend Chris and Shanann's wedding. Cindy says it's because she expected an apology from Chris. An apology for what? For telling you that you'd humiliated him at his engagement party? I thought you were just utterly shocked and decided to politely stay home from the next one out of respect. This is seriously the worst book ever. Going through this in order is painful, but after going through the entire thing, I think it's important to show all of the inconsistencies. Cindy says that instead of an apology from her son, he sent her the longest and ugliest email she'd ever gotten, and it had her on the floor sobbing. The theatrics of this is incredible. She mentions none of these ugly things he said in the email, and certainly she would if it would make her look more entitled to being a victim. Chris's parents didn't contact the couple again until they announced their pregnancy with Bella on Facebook. 
I shit you not, the book takes a sharp left turn, and Shanann's mom says that Shanann saved Chris's life when she found a spot on his dick that wound up being cancer. He had it removed, and all was well in the world. But Cindy, who allegedly hates confrontation, has to make an argument about everything, including the spot on Chris's dick. She says that Shanann sent a picture of it to Ronnie's phone, and they deleted it. Awkward. They were under the impression that Chris ignored it, never went to the doctor, and it was never mentioned again. Seriously, though, there should have been an entire chapter reserved for Chris's dick mole. They skip back to Bella's pregnancy and say again that they agree to start over with Shanann. They fly to Colorado and bring a $600 stroller with them that Shanann had picked out, making sure to mention that they didn't have much money. Then bring a fucking bumbo. Cindy follows up by saying that she didn't think that there had ever been any fertility issues between Shanann and Chris, regardless of what her own son said. Shanann had also mentioned that she didn't think she could have kids due to her endometriosis, but I suppose that held no weight in her world. Cindy continued by saying that Shanann's pregnancy wasn't high risk like her mom had claimed, and that Chris wasn't the head mechanic like Shanann's mom had written in her letter either, that he was just a line mechanic, and that Shanann made him quit when he got carpal tunnel from the job, which is when he went to work for the oil company allegedly taking a $20,000 pay cut. I like to mention here that any pregnant woman with lupus is considered to have a high-risk pregnancy. Google is an amazing thing, so is common sense, but Google's always there for backup when that's a debate. Literally, Cindy just decided to argue about every point that she could, even when someone was glorifying her son's occupation. She's like, no, he was only a line mechanic. And apparently it's Shanann's fault that a grown man quit his job after it gave him carpal tunnel. Next comes Shanann's pregnancy with Cece. Her mom says that it was more high risk than her pregnancy with Bella and that she was in a lot of pain and was really tired. But Cindy assures that Shanann seemed fine other than the fact that they went into debt trying to furnish their house, whatever the fuck that has to do with anything. Cindy says that she never thought about having any grandchildren from Chris or Shanann and that she didn't mind because she already had grandchildren. Jeez, this woman and her favorites. She casually mentions Shanann's brother having a drug problem and him and his mom both being bipolar, but said that her brother was a sweetheart and she never thought Shanann's mom was crazy and that if anyone was bipolar, she thought it was Shanann. I cannot. Let me apologize to everyone who has legitimately been diagnosed with bipolar disorder for this woman insinuating that you're crazy. And let me apologize to Shanann for all the bullshit her ex-mother-in-law and mother of her murderer is now saying her about her and self-diagnosing her with when she's no longer here to defend herself, which she didn't seem to be afraid to do. Next, Cindy goes on a tangent about her issues with Shanann's mom, talking about the arguments they had when they were watching Bella and Cece during the vacations Chris and Shanann got to go on thanks to Shanann's work for Lavelle. She couldn't seem to get along with anyone, but sure, everyone else is the problem. And then the book ends. I'm not even kidding. I literally have to laugh because I thought this was going to get to some kind of actual point, but it did not. She just ends it with, God help us all. They're all dead. She asks, did I make him this way? Should I have done more, done less? What could I have done differently? Could I have stopped it? And finally, she wonders if he knew what he has done to her and her husband and Shanann's family. What the fuck did I just read? 
Look, some people are just born crazy. I don't think all parents are to blame for the fucked up things their kids do, but there's certainly an environmental element to a lot of behavioral issues. And I think if Chris learned one thing from his mom, he learned that he's entitled to whatever he wants, and if he doesn't get it, he can blame everyone else for his problems and expect the world to cater to him and apologize for throwing off everything he had pictured for his life. I think that Chris was caught in a toxic situation between his mom and his wife, his mom who was always right even when she wasn't, and a wife who didn't let people walk all over her. And even now, with Shanann dead and buried in the ground by Cindy's own son, she chooses to use this time to write her own narrative. Because now that Shanann's dead, she's allowed to be right again, even when she's not, because Shanann isn't here to defend herself. This book didn't explain anything. It didn't offer any comfort. It didn't offer any insight into anything other than the misery Shanann went through when it came to her mother-in-law. But Cindy felt compelled to share this with the world because in her eyes, it genuinely offered something. What that is, I will never know. It's illogical and tasteless. It was a cheap way of talking shit about Shanann and her family, and that's it. I'll post a screenshot of the link to where you can read this sack of flaming dog crap for yourself on my Instagram under the Chris Watts highlight at the top of my profile at the Heather Ashley. But if you're looking for advice, I'd recommend the back of a shampoo bottle over this five chapter disaster. As always, if you love the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get notifications anytime new episodes are posted. And if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, drop us a rating or even a review. We love reading them. I'll be bringing you a brand new case on Monday, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 